Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Kids, Kids. One day you're watching your wife push a child out of her body. Next thing you know, you're outside a hospital room listening to that daughter push a child out of hers. It's like reverse Russian dolls. I don't know if you know anything about Russian dolls, but you take one off, you know, the little casing, there's another one, another one, another one that keeps going down. You know, I still come back to this. A fool says in his heart, there's no God. And if you have seen a child come out of a, a woman's body, and then you realize that God's plan was then that child could give birth and that child could, you know, as long as you're female, and it keeps going, and here we are, seven billion plus, and that's how it happens. So kids, kids, I think we have a weird system in our country at least where you work, you amass some amount of money, you buy a property somewhere maybe, and you go somewhere and die. And maybe you think that's it. You wind it down and you're old. Sometimes you're old because you're not moving. And really, the real stuff, like in a basketball game, may happen in the last quarter, the last two minutes. And where you really need to be ready and where you really need to be game on is at a point in your life where you have access to kids, kids, and cannot just spoil them and all those things that people laugh about, but you can pour some wisdom into a child that really their parents can't because they're at a certain point in life and supposedly you've grown up and grown on and you have something you can impart. Or you're just gonna stare at them because you didn't prepare. There's a friend of mine in the room who, as far as I know, almost every day calls his granddaughter and they have a Bible study in the morning. Is that correct? on the phone. She lives in New York. You say, well, wait a minute. Well, is that what grandparenting is about? What is it about? What is it you've planned for? Who is it that you are? And what have you learned from raising your own kids that will prepare you for that process? So go to Job chapter 42. So if you know anything about Job, God, you know, somehow there's a meeting in heaven and the devil shows up. I don't know how this all goes down. So don't ask me. I don't, I don't, you know, you say, well, you're a preacher. I don't get it all either. So What's he doing at their meeting, first of all? But God brings up Job. Have you considered my servant Job? And so then all hell breaks loose to a point. You can't take his life, but in a day, in a day, he loses everything but his wife. All of his children are killed. The house collapse. Storm comes, and, and he's just, it's just catastrophic. So this whole book goes through, his three buddies show up and they give him advice and he says some things that really it's not who God is and God is patient with that. But you get to chapter 42, verse seven. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, 
Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And then look at this little phrase. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them for the Lord had accepted Job and the Lord, and look at verse 10 and I don't know if you're big on uh, highlighting things in your Bible, but this is where everything changes for Job and it's in verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends and everything changed. So you said with these three friends, they came in and told me all this stuff. You know what? Forgive them, pray for them. And that's where it turned. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. So they bring gifts. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Kizia, and the name of the third Kirin Hapuk, and in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. You say, well, so what? How are you going to die? In what condition are you going to die? What frame of mind, what frame of heart are you going to die? Are you going to be a bitter old man? Are you going to be thinking about the bad things that happened in your life? Your marriage wasn't great. Maybe your kids you had trouble with. Whatever your issues are, you didn't achieve what you thought you should achieve. God didn't bless you. You didn't do whatever. And so now you're going to just pout and die. That doesn't look like what Job did. And he had been through catastrophic challenges. So what's your plan? You don't just wake up and just, oh, how did I end up such a godly man? How did I end up such a godly father? How did I end up such a godly husband? How did this just happen? It doesn't just happen. It's a choice one day at a time. And so you don't just end up there without trusting God, without walking with God. Go to Psalm 103. And I'm going to read you this Psalm beginning in verse 8. And it kind of gives you some context here for the verse I'm reading down to. Verse 8 says, Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And some of you know this, some of you never heard this. Why is it important that he's removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west and not north and south? Because north and south are measurable. East and west never meet. So they're gone. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now, how does a father pity his children? Sooner or later, if you're a dad and you've got a brain, you realize that kids are not going to always get it right. They're going to screw up. 
They're going to make mistakes. You're going to have to be patient like God is with you. And I guarantee you, you can always find someone who understands how God is merciful and patient and kind to us by the way they relate to someone else. It is not possible to receive that kind of grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and then not dispense that. So when you see a dad or a mom who is patient with their kids, you have to have something going on somewhere else vertically so that horizontally those relationships work. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commands to do them. So you say, well, I'm a religious person. I take my family to church. Now listen really closely, especially men. It is not enough to take your family to church. You think, well, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to be a godly man, live a godly life so that between Sundays, they see your life and say, that's what it's supposed to look like. You say, well, but I'm not perfect. No one's asking for perfection, at least make an attempt. And for years, I think in this country, there's been a lot of this. Generations of people taking their families to church, but not enough living church. And the hypocrisy and a lot of kids want nothing to do with church. Why do kids not want anything to do with church? Because they get taken and they realize they've been taken. They go and they look around the room and go, okay, this all looks great and sounds great, but I know who my dad is, my mom, I know who they are at home. And somehow they turn the switch and we go to church and act like everything's okay and like they're these godly people, but I see what's going on at home. I see the relationship they have with each other or not and the relationship they have or not with God himself. There's no relationship, no personal ongoing relationship with God. So why do I wanna go learn how to do that? I can stay home and keep it real. So why would they not want to go to church? They want to go to a church or be a part of a church if they see there's an attempt at it consistently, seamlessly. Now you say, well, should I not be taking my family to church? I'm not saying that, but what's the point? What are you doing? Well, I hope they get it. You are one of the main reasons they're going to get it. So what happens? If you're a dad, you raise your kids. Children, especially young children, think you're God. You are powerful, you can discipline, you can feed, you can provide, you can do all these things. The whole point of being a dad is being the middleman and passing the kid off when the day comes. Where you say, look, I'm trying to teach you what a father looks like and that there is love, there is tenderness, there is discipline, there's all these components, but I'm trying to get you up and running where you see that I am not perfect, I need the same God I'm going to point you to, and the day will come where I hand you off to that father and he takes over and you have a relationship with him forever. I'm still your dad, but you have to walk with him. You've got to listen to him. You've got to trust and obey him. And then that decision is made hopefully in their life and they learn how to do that and they're on their way. They're up and running. Go to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless, now look at this, and please don't just read the verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So is the Lord building your house? You say, what are you talking about my house? I'm not talking about your physical house. I'm talking about your home. You as a person, you as a couple, you as a family. 
whatever's going on, who's building that house? If he's not building it, what does it say? They labor in vain who build it. Why? Because it's going to fall apart. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that if you love God, you love your wife, you love your husband, and you do all these things right, the kids can't go crazy. Anybody, can I get a witness on that anywhere in the room? Okay, so it can go poorly. Why? Because children have a will and you're not necessarily in it. Right, so they can choose to do whatever, but they've got a better shot at either seeing something that works and even if they get away from it and go run all the traps, and I love that they're called traps because that's what they are, you run all the traps and then the Holy Spirit says to them like, what are we doing out here? There's nothing out here. All these things you thought were gonna fix it, don't fix it. Why don't you go back to what you know works? So give them that standard, don't back off of it. Just say, look, this is the way. Walk in it and hold the line. And if they go their way, prodigal son notwithstanding, he goes. But I tell everybody that story. He was a son when he left the house. He did not leave the house and come back and become a son. He left a son, came back a son. So it is possible to be a believer and run, but come home. And in that story, the father lets him leave and he waits for him to come home. He doesn't go looking for him because that kid has to arrive at it on his own and choose to come home. You can only make a kid stay home so long. And then they can do what they want to do, and they're gone. Verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So children a heritage, a blessing. Now let me, this is going to seem a little harsh. Is it possible that your children turned out to be a piece of work because you're a piece of work and you thought, oh, I can live like hell and my kids will all be godly. Sometimes you don't have to go far looking for the problem. Not always, but you can't live like hell and expect your children to go, oh, well, I get it. They're trying to show me the contrast. It's just one big, don't do as I do, do as I say. But sometimes parents aren't even doing that. They're not even do as I sayers. They're just living like they want to live and hope their kids turn out okay. There's a good chance your kids are going to turn out like you. So let me talk to you about way in the future. Are you living a life that is so impactful that even if someone doesn't know your name two generations down the road, you are part of the fiber and the foundation of your family and they don't even know what you look like and it doesn't matter because you had such an impact, you're dead and you're changing the world. Is that your plan? That's my plan. Try to instill something in my girls that they instill something in their kids and in those kids, and if I'm dead and gone, they look back and go, yeah, there was some guy I lived like, you know what? It doesn't matter if they know my name. I want them to know his name and know that somebody put rebar in the concrete. How many of you know what rebar is? Wow, that's a lot of name. That's a lot of construction people in here. I love rebar. And if you see a concrete highway built, you know it looks like just a bunch of concrete, but if you see them building it, they spend weeks weaving rebar, putting a grid out, and then the trucks come in and in a day, boom, they pour that concrete and the rebar disappears. You say, well, what's a rebar? That road won't last any time without the rebar. So how are you putting rebar in your family, in your children, in your grandchildren? What are you putting in place that will withhold the time itself? 
these things don't just happen. I am yet to meet a tremendously godly man or woman and I go, wow, you just seem like to be such a really godly person. Yeah, I just don't know how this happened. I just woke up one day and I was just all godly. <laughs> Doesn't happen that way. Any more than an athlete just wakes up and says, yeah, I just never played golf in my life. One day I just picked up a club and I was, you know, here I am at the U.S. Open. Everything takes work. You don't work to get yourself into heaven, but you do work at being a Christian and walking it out, talking it out, having a relationship, maintaining that, and making some choices. And then you end up with that life. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. So this is Paul writing to a young man named Timothy, very personal, very specific. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. You say, well, how is he a son? He's his son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. And look where this comes from, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. How many of you were raised by your grandparents? Raise your hand. Quite a few hands. Now, how does that happen? He said, well, you're about to throw my mom and dad under the bus. No, I'm about to say something nice about the grandparents because grandparents think they're done, but they love a grandchild so much that when everything falls apart, what do they do? I'm up and they take you in and they raise you. You say, well, what about my parents? Obviously, if somebody wasn't in a good spot and that happens, but that doesn't mean you have to be in a bad spot. So look at what Paul is acknowledging here in the life of Timothy. He's not just talking to Timothy. He's saying to him, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So whatever faith he has, he's acknowledging that his mama had it, Eunice, and Lois, his grandmother, had it as well. Is that the kind of history you've got? Is that the kind of lineage you've got? Now listen, you say, no, I don't have that. Then start it with you. You say, well, my whole family screwed up. Not yet unless you keep screwing it up. You say, well, I don't know what to do. We've had already today, people take a microphone and stand up and acknowledge not just their own dads, but spiritual fathers in the room. There are people in this room who have not had maybe a godly mom, and so all the women in the room together get together and help you figure out what being a woman's all about. The men the same way. Or how do we make it? Verse six, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, verse seven comes after six, five, four, three, two, and one. You can't just jerk seven right out of there. You see, yeah, but it's true. But look at the context. Where does he come from? What is his family like? Stir up the gift of God which is in you. I still love this, and if maybe I've used this before, but there's something about putting fresh orange juice in the refrigerator. And if you leave it in there overnight and you go back to get it the next day, what do you got? It's separated. Pulp's on the bottom and liquid yuck at the top. <laughs> Nobody drinks it that way. What do you do? You stir it up and then boom, it's back. Get you some stir up. 
You say, well, God, it just seems like I'm bland. Something's missing. He says, well, let me have a shot at it and let's get in here and stir that up. All of a sudden, what's in there, you stir that up like he said to Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's within you. Then all of a sudden, the next verse makes sense. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. You get stirred up and all of a sudden, you're not afraid anymore. You got power, you got love, you got a sound mind. We can do this. It's still orange juice. It's just separated out. He's still in there, stirred up. So Matthew chapter 28, let me go back over here a minute. And I'm not gonna read Genesis 1:28, but from the very beginning, what did God tell Adam and Eve to do? Be fruitful and multiply. And what was he saying? Physically, be fruitful and multiply, make babies, replenish the earth. Matthew 28, 19 is a similar verse in a spiritual sense. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. He even told the animals to be fruitful and multiply. Being fruitful and multiplying does not just mean you make a baby. Even animals don't abandon their young. They raise them. So built into being fruitful and multiplying is yes, make a baby, raise the baby up to adulthood where then they can do the same thing again. And that Matthew 28, as you're going, make disciples. Now you say, well now, here we go again with the discipleship thing. How does that tie in? Go to 2 Timothy chapter two. 2 Timothy chapter two, verse one. Back to Timothy. Next chapter, we already read 2 Timothy one. Here's 2 Timothy two. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Who are the others? Those are Paul's grandchildren. It always goes to others. And he literally calls Timothy his son. But what does he expect from his son? Grandchildren, kids, kids. What do you expect? Now, I ask this to people from time to time. They say, you know, have you led anybody to Christ in the last 10 years? No. Have you discipled anybody in the last 10 years? No. Then something is terribly wrong. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You missed it. It's not happening. Stir up the gift of God that's in you. Get after it. And the reason I read you that Matthew passage is you say, well, but he was telling Timothy that. No, he's telling all of us this. As you're going, make disciples. Be fruitful. Multiply. Raise these kids up. So what is my goal? My goal is when I die to not only have physical kids and grandkids, but to have spiritual kids and grandkids and great grandkids. And I'm dead and gone and die, end up in heaven. God blows the horn. It's all over. And I meet great, 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 great grandchildren. Why? Because I started somewhere and left that legacy and it carried on. How do you think we got to this point? Now you say, well, I don't think that's what I'm doing. And you know what? It'll never change unless you make a decision for it to change. Well, I just think I want to retire and be a grandfather. Why don't you retire and be a spiritual grandfather? Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. 
You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. The old man that changed my life, Claude Townsend, prayed and he said, God, he had a mobile home park where he rented stuff out to make money and he was a piano tuner. He had that business and he prayed and he said, Lord, get me to the place financially where I can spend 10% of my life on business and 90% on ministry. And God answered his prayer and he went out that way, changing lives. How are you going to go out? What's your plan? Who are the others in your life? Because if you don't make that decision, it'll never happen. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to heaven. You'll give an account for not having a plan because the instructions are right here. Well, I missed it. You're not going to miss it here. You can't get to heaven and say, well, nobody told me that. You say, well, but I don't know what to do. Stand up if you'll help somebody who doesn't know what to do. Okay. So you're surrounded. These are the Loises, the Eunices. These are the people. So you look around and say, okay, I need help. I'm going to pick one of these people. Lord, show me someone that I can go to and they'll help me. And you get up and running and then you have a kid, then you have a grandkid and you're off and running. And that's what he intended. And hopefully all these people that are standing are making disciples and they got kids and they got kids' kids. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.